You probably didn't see that coming. You know, the thing is, is so often when we think of missionaries, we think of people that go somewhere far away. But the reality is, if you call yourself a Christian, you're a missionary. And the Bible says in Acts 1-8 that we're to be missionaries wherever we are. It says to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. And the reality is, is that so often we think about it, you're only a missionary if you go somewhere else. But God has called us to, be, to live our life on mission, all of us, not just some persons, but all of us. And so the reality, what we're going to be talking about in this series over the next six weeks is just about how to do that. How do we do that? How do you live life on mission? How do, you, how do you connect with people? How do you help people to grow? How do you serve people? How do you do all these things? We're going to be talking about, starting next week, five action steps that will help us to understand in a very simple way about how to do this, that all of us can do this. None of these will be things that's going to stretch you too much. They may take you a little bit out of your comfort zone occasionally, but it's not going to be something that's going to cause you to be stretched that much. But this morning, I want to kind of give you an overview of what we're talking about. You know, recently this summer, I turned 60, and it was a traumatic event for me. Not really. You know, it's just another number on the calendar. But as you think about that, I used to think years ago when I was 20 and when I was 30 that 60 was like ancient, you know? And now I'm going to go and like, you know, well, maybe it's not as old as it used to be, you know? And then I remembered uh, one of my favorite movies was a, a movie with uh, Billy Crystal in it called City Slickers. Y'all remember that movie? Uh, and remember uh, when he was going through his kind of uh, midlife crisis, he was turning 40. I'm going like, big deal, 40, you know? And he was turning 40. And, and, and so in the movie, he's, his, his, his little boy asked him to come to his classroom and have a, it was one of those days where your dad shared, you know, about what they did. And, and this guy gets up and shares all this stuff, and, and Billy Crystal's going to be next, and he's going like, what a bummer, I have to follow this guy, this guy's been crazy, the guy before him. And, and so Billy Crystal gets up, and he starts to share a little bit, and then he starts going on this rant about what, to these little kids, you know, these little uh, elementary kids, about the future. And he said this, this is the rant from Billy Crystal, he says, value this time in your life, kids, because this is, t- this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur, and your 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 30s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin, the music starts to get too loud, and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have a minor surgery, you call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your 60s, you have a major surgery, the music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anymore. In your 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at 4 o'clock, lunch at 10 a.m., and breakfast the night before. And, <clears throat> and you spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate in soft-serve yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? And then he says, by your 80s, you've had a major stroke, and you end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse your wife can't stand and who you call mama. Got any questions? And that was his rant. And I, and I thought about that. I'm going like, I love that movie. That was such a great movie. And, uh, and I'm going like, you know, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? You know, our life just flies by, and we wonder where it all went. And we ask ourselves, and sometimes when it flies by, we start asking ourselves this question, what am I supposed to be doing during this life that's going along so fast? I remember uh, years ago uh, when I first came to Great Oaks uh, in 2002, um, the, a brand new book had come out called The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, it was the year it came out. We were one of the first churches to ever do the 40 Days of Purpose thing here. And actually, we were one of the pilot churches to do that. And, and, um, 
And I remember in that book, and I think it was there or somewhere, that Rick Warren said, you know, it said, ask this question, and, I, and I, sometimes I've asked this question myself, why doesn't God take you to heaven the moment you become a believer? Wouldn't that be a lot easier? You had a bad day and you think, well, you know, God, it'd be a lot easier if you just go ahead and take me to heaven. I wouldn't have to put up with all the junk that I put up with on this earth. I wouldn't have to put up all the, all the sin, all the problems, all the trials, all the temptations, all the stuff. And, he, and you're thinking like, you, know, there's, there's, you can pretty much do everything in heaven that you can do here on the earth. You can, you can uh, sing in heaven. And, you know, for some of us, you know, some of you, uh, you guys, you know, in heaven, hopefully you'll sing better than you do here. God will give you a new voice. Maybe, maybe everybody will have angelic voices. I don't know. Um, you, can, uh, you can pray in heaven. You can have fellowship in heaven. You can serve God in heaven. You can uh, rest in heaven. Uh, hopefully you can play golf in heaven. I don't know. You know, all these different things you can do. But there's only two things, Rick Warren said, that you can't do in heaven that you can do only upon this earth. And those two things are this. You can sin. And the other thing is you can tell people the good news about God's love. Because in heaven, no, there will be no sin, so you can't sin. And also, in heaven, everybody will be Christians, followers of God. They've already made their decisions to follow Christ, and so there's be no need to tell anybody about, uh, about God, the good news of God's love. And then Rick Warren asked, asked this kind of, you know, just the rhetorical question, uh, now, which of these two reasons do you think you're still alive for? Why did God still leave you around? Well, obviously, it's not to sin. And so the thing is, is that we have to ask ourselves, what's our purpose then? And I think Jesus says it so well in Luke 19. Jesus said this mission, and in a very short verse, he says, my mission is this, to seek and save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. And you know what it means to be a Christian? Another term is, for a Christian is a little Christ. A little Christ. That means that you are to be the same, on the same mission, that you and I are to be on the same mission that Christ is on. And he says, my mission is to seek and to save the lost. And then he gave us the great commandment. And he says that our, our basic thing in life is to do what? What's the great commandment? To love God and love people. Basically, we're to love our dad and we're to love his kids. That's what he's talking about there. I love, uh, you know, I learn stuff from people all over the place. And I remember a few years ago at a leadership summit, Peter Drucker was there. Peter Drucker, the business guru, who's written a bunch of stuff, probably some of you from different jobs have actually heard, you know, heard him speak or done things like that. And he asked a really a simple question that was really a, two questions that he said that everybody needs to ask themselves every day. He says, in our life, but especially in our churches and in our businesses, he said, we need to ask ourselves, what business are we in in house business? What business are we in in house business? Well, for, the, for those who call ourselves Christians, our business is that we're in the witness business. We're to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses. And it says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, For it is with grace, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This says we're just prepared for good works. But the apostle Paul clarifies this and then Jesus clarifies, the Apostle Paul, uh, Luke actually clarifies it in Acts 1.8 as well. But in, in Acts 20.24, 20, the Apostle Paul says this, The most important thing, the most important thing is that I complete my mission. The work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell the people, tell people the good news about God's grace. That's about as clear as it can be. Can it be any clearer than that? That that is our purpose 
as Christians, to tell people about the good news about God's grace. Now, Peter Drucker's first question in that one-sentence one thing was, how, what is your business? But his second question was what? How's business? How's business? If our job, if our, if our purpose in life is to help people to know who Jesus Christ is, and we have all these thousands of churches in the United States filled with millions of Christians, and if our business, if, if our business model is good, let's use a business analogy, our business model is good, what should be happening? The church should be growing, right? It's not. It's not. Do you know that 100 recent surveys say that 195 million Americans are unchurched? They have no religious affiliation. The number of people in the U.S. Have no, who have no religious worldview, according to the surveys recently, has gone from 15% of Americans in 1950 to 60% of Americans in 2010 that said they have no religious worldview. You know, the fastest group, growing group of, in the U.S. is people who don't believe in any kind of religion. When they go to the hospital and they fill out the form, that say, you know, all the forms, and you fill out the forms and it has a religious affiliation, you know what the number one thing is? None. None. By far and away, the largest number. But Jesus said our job in, in Acts 1-8 was this, and you will be what? My witnesses. You will be my witnesses. He's talking to all of us. This wasn't just for a select few. He's talking to all of us. And he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what we're going to be doing in this series over the next several weeks is calling us back to the mission that we are called to do as a church, to make sure that we're on track with what our main thing is, to make sure the main thing is the main thing, and to make sure we understand how to do it. I believe that all along our motivation has been somewhat right. I mean, we wanted to make God happy as a church and as Christians. We want to do that. And God told us to be holy because he's holy. And that's true, right? That's true. So we did. And, and the problem is, is the climate of the church became, well, we used to say it this way when I grew up in church. It says, this was kind of a little thing. If you're a really good Christian, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, or you don't go with girls who do. You ever heard that? You know, well, that was kind of the mentality I grew up with, you know. Don't smoke, smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. Now, I don't know if that's what God had in mind when he talks about being holy. But for the American church, it became more, it's become more about huddling up together and, not be, and, and making sure we're not worldly than being holy. And there's a difference. And in the process, what happened to us is we removed ourselves from the very people we were supposed to witness to. I mean, we've pulled away so much at churches. We, have our, we come together on Sunday mornings, and that's about the only time that we really gather together, maybe in small groups, and we do that together. But we're always just around with Christians, and we're not interacting with non-Christians at all. And if we look at Jesus Christ, was that Jesus' model? Well, Jesus was constantly being put down for what reason because he was so religious no because he was hanging out with sinners and if we're little christ guess what we're supposed to be doing we can't get in our little holy huddles like we have been doing in american churches for so long and not interact with the world because we are called to be witnesses and you cannot be a witness to somebody that you're never around does that make sense it's called logic and that's why we're losing ground in America. 
I mean, we've got our own music, our own bookstores, our own radio stations, our own schools. And at one point, uh, we were told to bo- we're, we're, so often we're known more for what we boycott and what we protest than for anything else. And we protest everything. Disney World. Most of you still go to Disney World, I bet. I know one or two of our staff, one staff member who loves it, you know. He and his family go there all the time. They haven't boycotted it. I remember back, this kind of ages me, but you know how old I am already because I started off by telling you how old I am. Um, I remember back years ago that we were even, to, st- to be holy, one of the things that you're supposed to do, we were told to burn our records. Those evil records. Because some of them, even though the ones like the Beatles and, 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 and other ones, if you played them backwards... Some of you know, some of you are young don't know what I'm talking about. But back, this was back when you had vinyl records. Vinyl. Okay? Vinyl. They, they spun around like this. Okay? And you said if you played them backwards, what would happen? There would be satanic messages in the background. I tried forever to hear those satanic messages. Did anybody ever hear a satanic message in an album? Not once did I ever hear one. I mean, somebody told me in Hotel California with the Eagles there was a satanic message. I love the Eagles. Them and the Doobie Brothers are on my playlist. Still are. When I mow grass, man, I'm rocking out to the Doobie Brothers, you know? And the thing is, is that, the thing is, the thing is, don't look, don't say, oh, no. Okay, but the thing is, and I got a lot of Christian music there, too, okay? It's not just them, okay? But the reality is, the reality is, 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 is that, was what, that was what was the problem. I'm just, uh, it's kind of like we've been known for that kind of stuff other than being people who witness and, and, and interact and love people. I mean, it's kind of exemplified by the pastor in Ohio when Katy Perry first came on the music scene with a song about a lesbian experience. They put up this, song, this sign. Yeah, that was on a main road in Ohio. Now, let me ask you, does that draw people to Christ? Exactly. Somebody said it pushes them away. Yeah, yeah, duh. The reality was that's what we're known for so often. I remember the, the guy that uh, or actually was reading for this series. There's a, there's a book, and if you'd like to purchase the book that goes along with this series, uh, it's written by a pastor in Chicago. His name is Tim Harlow. He's pastor of Parkview Christian Church. It's a church that has multiple campuses, runs about 10,000 in attendance. And, and, and as he was there in that church, uh, he's written this book, uh, he's written this book, and it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous book. It's really easy to read. And our small groups, many of our small groups will be watching the videos and stuff. But he was, as I was listening to him or reading something he said, um, he told about when he was in college. He's a little bit younger than I am. He's probably in his mid-50s. And he, was, he went to a college at Ozark Christian College. And um, he said, I remember when I'd just been a Christian for a while, and I went to college, and he said, I remember the most vivid experience of college was this. He says, um, Alice Cooper, remember who Alice Cooper was? Yes, yes, he's still around. Alice Cooper, uh, he came out with uh, Schools Out, uh, the song, famous song of 72, the year I graduated from high school. You know, it was our famous song for that year. But uh, uh, Alice Cooper, you know, and Alice Cooper was bizarre, theatrical, all kind of weird stuff. Uh, and and he, plus, he was a guy, he, was first, he called his name Alice. It was kind of weird. But anyway, uh, he said, I remember being in college, and he says, I remember that when Alice Cooper, and he'd been after 10 years, and this was in the early 80s, he said, about 10 years that he'd been into his career, and Alice was kind of going downhill because uh, he had a concert in Joplin, Missouri. 
I mean, if you're really up there, you do it in Chicago, not Joplin, Missouri. But, you know, he was going downhill, so he was having a concert there. And so a bunch of the guys at the school who had this us versus them mentality, they decided what they were going to do, the Christian thing to do, was to go and picket the concert. And they had signs up going like, Alice is the girl's name, and, you know, and you hate God, you love Satan, and, you know, stuff like that, you know. And, and he's been a Christian for a while, so he kind of went along with the crowd. But he said, the thing is, the whole time I'm doing this, I'm asking myself the question, is this really helping the cause of Christ? And he said, the kicker was, once I began to read the Bible, I never saw Jesus picketing anyone. On the contrary, it just seemed like the religious people were eternally mad at Jesus because he was always at parties with people like Alice Cooper and Katy Perry. Because when people think of Jesus' love for people and who were lost, they, what do they see? They see this. They see this next, next slide. Pop the next one. They see Jesus on a cross. That's what they think about when they think about Jesus, right? But let me share with you, when people think of the churches, how churches love people who were lost, this is what they see. It's not the same thing. Kind of close. But it's not the same thing. Because so often what we do as, as, as churches, as we as Christians, is we have this mentality that we're to be, our purpose is to be the trial lawyers and jurors for people out in the world. You know, Jesus said this in John 17, he says, in this world, we're to be in this world, but not of this world. He said our purpose is not to stand in the entrance of the church and decide whether people are good enough to get into the doors. He told us to be salt, and he said that salt is not, uh, not any good unless what? unless it gets out of the shaker. And the analogy is the church is the shaker, and we need to get out and put salt into the community, and we need to impact people's lives. And he told us to be light, but he said, what about light? He said, don't hide it under what? A bushel, and which meant don't put a cover on it. Don't just keep your light hidden somewhere. He says, we're going to be light out in the world where it's darkness. And the question comes to me is this, you know, that being the case, what are we missing? What's the problem? And it kind of comes in the harvest verse. It's over in Matthew chapter 9, which says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had what? He had judgment. No, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see what the key is right in the middle of that passage? I don't think the key is seeing the harvest. I mean, all you have to look at statistics to realize we're not doing a good job. I don't think the key is praying for the harvest, even though that's hugely important. It's something we need to do. The key is giving a rip about the harvest. See, Jesus had compassion on the ones who needed the gospel. He actually cared for them, and we see that time and time again in Scripture. If we're going to be on mission, we need compassion. So today what I want to do to kind of wrap this, to get us launched, is I want to take us to the Old Testament, to a story in the Old Testament that you're all familiar with, even if you didn't grow up in church. You've heard this one. You just hadn't heard the part of it, I'm going to tell you, because we'd always skip this part. It's about a guy who was called to be on mission for God, and he took a pass. He said, no, nah, God, I don't want to do that. I'm going in the opposite direction. But God wouldn't let him off the hook, so he had him thrown into the sea and had a big fish swallow him. Now you know what the story is? Jonah and the whale. I mean, we think it's all about Jonah. Really, that first part, it's not the big part of the story. 
That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapters 4, we just kind of always just kind of look over because it's not a really good part. It doesn't make Jonah look too good, chapter 4. And if we apply it to ourselves, it makes us look really bad as well. So if we look in chapter, the the part we already know about, the part where Jonah is called by God to go to a place called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was this this evil place. It was like, let me me explain in our modern terms. It would be like going, for us to be going like into the ISIS headquarters today. You know who ISIS is, right? Group over there, the radical Muslims who are killing people everywhere, beheading people. It would be us like us going to that. That was, that was about as close to who Nineveh was. Nineveh was just the, the epitome of evil. But God calls him to go there, and Jonah wasn't go, so God, put, you know, he, he gets on a boat, he goes down the boat, the boat has all these problems and stuff, and, and then the, the, he gets thrown out the boat, and the fish swallows him, and he's in a fish belly for three days. And Whether you take it as an allegory or whether you take it as the truth, it doesn't really matter because the story is still there. The reality is he does this, and he gets thrown up on shore. Actually, the Bible says vomited on shore. And uh, when he does that, what happens is, is God asks him the question for a second time, are you going to follow me? And you know what Jonah said? He said, yes, sir. Probably very respectful at that point. And so in Jonah 3.3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. That's what he did. Then it says this in verse 6 through 9. It says, when Jonah went, he said, God called him to go to Nineveh and tell him about that God was going to come and destroy them if they didn't repent. And so it says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he said, This is what the king of Nineveh said. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Are you kidding me? This is the guy that's the head of the terrorist group. This is the guy that, you know, that that Jonah's going like, I don't want to talk to this guy. This guy's going to kill me if I get too close to him. But what do we see? We see him being really ready to hear what, what Jonah had to say. And I think this is incredibly important because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. He says it so many times back then, but he says the workers are few. And if he said the harvest was plentiful back then, over 2,000 years ago, what do you think about today, what he would say? You know what the world population is? Go to the next slide. Okay, this shows over the history, over the last 2,000 years, it's over a long time, how the history, how how the world population has spiked just, just in the last, oh, uh, started about uh, about 200 years ago, and guess what? That yellow line represents that yellow space. That's where we are. That's our lifespan for most of us. And so, let me ask you: If the harvest was plentiful back at the beginning, what do you think it's like now? We live in a time where there's more people and a, the greatest time of of population growth in the history of the world. We live in a time of greatest opportunity in the history of the whole world. Because we've lived here, that's all we've ever known. We think it's just normal, but it's not. It's not in the history of the world. The harvest is plentiful. And, and, and in a sense, uh, when the king of Nineveh uh, was receptive, it kind of says to us, uh, the people were receptive as well. The problem, I don't believe, is the harvest. It's getting people to do something about it. I believe the people of the world are far more ready to hear the message of salvation than the witnesses are to give it. I don't believe the problem is that there aren't workers. The problem is that the workers are huddled in their church buildings expecting the grain to drop in their laps. Which ultimately means the problem is that workers 
simply don't care enough. Because when Jesus saw the crowds, what did he, what did he do? He was, had compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. When he rode in Jerusalem on, on, on Palm Sunday, what did he do? He wept for them because he realized what was going on. What do we do as churches? What are we known for as churches? We're known as churches who set up picket lines. We burn records. We put out church signs that oppose everything in the world. We boycott things. We do all these types of things which push people away from us. And the hard thing for us is that we have to combat that in our world today. Those of us who are serious about doing the gospel. Now, I'm not telling you that we don't preach truth because let me tell you, the, the message that Jonah preached was what? It was true. The truth was this, there is a God, we are sinners, and we need salvation. That was his message. And it's not good news until people know there's bad news, I get that. But don't mix up the story. For some reason, we think that we've been called to be judges and jury and prophets for everybody. And what has God called us to be? Acts 1.8. Witnesses. Witnesses. Huge difference. When we simply tell people, we're to tell people how God has worked in our lives. That's what a witness is. Now, we think that the story's kind of over in Jonah once we get to chapter, the middle of chapter 3, but really I think it begins here because it says this toward the end of chapter 3. It says, God had compassion, verse 10, uh, 10, God had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So we see that God has compassion. We see in the New Testament that Jesus has compassion. But what was Jonah's problem? Lack of compassion. Because you read chapter 4, which is the part we don't want to read, because you know what it says? Verses 1 through 3. God had compassion in chapter 3, chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What was he becoming angry at? The fact that God was letting the, these people off the hook. He had compassion on these people. He loved the people of Nineveh, even though they were evil. He, and it says this, he prayed to the Lord. He says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God. He knew God was that way. Slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's going like, God, I don't want any part of this mission, because I don't care. Matter of fact, not only do I not care, I don't even like these people. I don't even like these people. Jonah didn't run from God because he was afraid of the Ninevites. Jonah ran from God because he didn't like the Ninevites. He fled to Tarshish because he was worried that God might actually do what? He might actually save them. I mean, there's some people in our world today that when we, they do stuff, we're going like, man, you know, they don't deserve salvation. The fact is, none of us do. None of us do. But God chooses to give it to us anyway. I, I mean, these people in in Nineveh were bad people. They were enemies of God, people who called themselves Alice and probably embedded satanic messages in their music, but they probably people who drank, smoked, and chewed and went with girls who do, but Jonah didn't like them. Jonah didn't like them. Jonah's problem was compassion. It was kind of like, I heard about this kid, and it's just two kids talking. And it was like a kid telling another kid about Jesus and heaven, and the unbelieving kid said to this believing kid, he said, he said, uh, he said, okay, are you, tell, are you saying that all I have to do is follow Jesus and I can go to heaven? And the believing kid said, yeah. And he said, and if my mom, and the unbelieving kid said, if my mom wants to go, all she has to do is follow Jesus. And the other kid goes, yeah. And if you don't want her there, just don't tell her. 
That's sad. But it's true. See, Jonah didn't want them there. Ultimately, I think this is our problem so often too. I mean, who wants the kingdom of God to be full of Ninevites? Or let's put it in common culture, radical Muslims. And sinners and tax collectors and Katy Perry's and Alice Cooper's. Oh, by the way, Alice will be there because he's now a Christian. Didn't know if you knew that or not. It wasn't because of the picketing, by the way, that led him to Christ. It was years later in his life that people loved him enough to care for him and actually sit down with him and treat him as a human being. You know, I wonder if it could have been Jonah at the temple praying in Luke chapter 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. It could have been Jonah. He had this, they, that person had the same attitude. But it, can be, it could have been me and you as well. The crazy thing is this, is, is Jonah knew that he didn't like him. He says, I know, verse 2 again, I know that you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah knew that God was a God of a second chance because God had given him a second chance in the belly of a fish. But then the last part of the of, of passage there is interesting as well because it says something about why, what happens even after we do what we're to do, what, what's our problem so often? So it says this in verse 5. It says, so Jonah went out after he did this, after he proclaimed God's word, after the people uh, accepted, uh, accepted God, God gave them mercy, God saved them. It says, so Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. You know what Jonah was hoping to happen? He's hoping they get whacked, get what do they deserve. It says, then this, this is interesting, how much God cares. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, to ease his discomfort. And, to give, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. Why was he happy about the vine? Because it made him comfortable. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. You didn't know this was in the Bible, did you? I mean, this is kind of a really strange story. Uh, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine, the fact that the vine died? Because I gave you the vine to start with. You know what Jonah's response is in the very next verse? He says, I do. I have the right to be angry. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not intend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? You know what God's telling Jonah here? He said, Jonah, how can you have such a cold heart? How can you not care? If you know that they're headed for destruction, how could you not care? How could you hate them so much that you don't care? There's a magician and comedy act called Penn and Teller. You know who Penn and Teller is? You know, I don't know if you know this, but Penn is a devout atheist, uh, very vocal, but also very articulate. And I was watching a video blog by him that he talked, and it really kind of makes the point 
uh, of what we're talking about here and the attitude that Jonah had as well. So I want you to watch this for a minute and we'll close uh, our, our message today. Watch this little video blog from Penn Gillette. That's his last name. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, he was very complimentary about my use of language. And, um, and then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big or this thick. You know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye. He did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, but that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. I don't know about you, but uh, it kind of nails us to the wall sometimes about this thing about us being, well, you know, I, I don't want to share my faith because it's socially awkward. This is from the mouth of an atheist. And the reality is, is that I think he probably hit, it, hit the nail on the head. I'm, I'm praying that maybe someday that Penn Gillette will move from where he is to where he, where he needs to be. But the reality is, is he said this, you know, he, sa he says, you know, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? How much do you have to, and have you ever thought of it that way? But the reality is, it's not simply not caring. It's almost, we just, we just won't do what we need to do. All Jonah cared about was his vine. And what did the vine represent? It, re it represented his comfort, his comfort. Losing the vine took him out of the comfort zone, out of the, play, out of the heat. And leaving Israel and going to Nineveh meant leaving his comfort zone. What's the problem with the American church? I believe the problem with the American church, I think it's about leaving our comfort zone. 
We want to get in our little huddles, and when we feel comfortable there in our Bible study groups, which is important to do and to have fellowship, but we never get out of those so often and go out and build relationships with people in a world that's lost, like Jesus did. See, for our life to be on mission, our compassion must be greater than our comfort. And the Church of America will never, ever, ever make an impact on America until that happens. Ever. I think we all have to ask ourselves this question, am I going to allow my discomfort to get in the way of my mission? You can't get to that moment of asking that question without killing the vine, without some discomfort in our life. I love what one person, there was an evangelist many, many years ago, and he had a great name. It was actually his given name. His, his name was C.T. Studd. How do you like to have a name like that? S-T-U-D-D, Studd. That's, what a great name for a guy. You know, I don't know about women would like that, but the guys would have to have a C.T. Studd. And C.T. Studd has a lot of different quotes and a lot of things that people have read about him, but one of them that I love is his attitude about the world. And he said this, Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. That's the attitude I believe that all of us need to have, that we don't be afraid of encountering people where they are, of going to our neighbor who's different than us. Let me tell you, folks, for many, many years, I struggled with, because I live in a neighborhood where most of the people in my neighborhood are not Christians. A lot of party people. Everybody's younger than me, by the way. And, and the reality is, is that so often they have parties. I've been invited to some of them. For a long time, I didn't go. And I don't go to all of them. But now when some of them have them, I go over and I don't do everything they do. I don't drink. I don't do all those different things like that. But the reality, I go and I, and I intermingle with them. Because I have a chance of building a relationship with them that hopefully will help lead them to, to heaven someday. Because I thought this, you know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He would be at the party. He'd be there making an impact on people in a quiet in a respectful way. So, are we going to be the church of Jonah? Where we pick and choose who we like based upon our preferences? Or are we going to be the church of Jesus Christ? Where we have compassion for people because everybody is a child of God and needs to have salvation in their life? That's the question. I've often wondered... And I've thought about this, how glad I am that the person who introduced me to Jesus had the heart of God and not the heart of Jonah. Maybe we need to ask that question and let that be our guiding light as well. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to, how to, how to do this, how to connect with people, how to help people. And let me tell you something, folks. These are not going to be like, go, some of you are going like, oh, my, is this going to be one of the things where we've got to go knock on people's doors? And, no, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. This is about connecting with people that you know. Not let them be in your project, but being people, being open to being living your whole life on mission for God, no matter where you are and what you do. That's the challenge that's before us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your incredible love and your goodness to us. I pray that you would just enable us this day to, um, to express our love to you by not doing what Jonah did. And that is, what he did was, he, in a real sense, what he did was he um, first just 
disobeyed you, God. You told him to go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite direction. Hopefully none of us have done that, and we'll do that. And it took a whole lot to get his attention, but you did, God. And finally, when you got his attention, he said yes, but at the same time, he went he did what he was supposed to do, but he did it with a poor attitude and with really hate in his heart, with no compassion. And you still used that, God, which was amazing. But God, maybe the question, and many people think that many biblical uh, scholars believe that Jonah probably wrote this book himself because it never is concluded that by Jonah writing this book, probably he's asking the same question of us that he had to ask of himself eventually. And that is, do I have compassion for people? Do I love people the way that God loves people, the way that Jesus loves people? Or am I simply uh, one of those people who feel like I have to push myself away from everything so that I can keep myself holy and that is not the definition of holy the definition of holy is living in the world but not of the world of interacting with people like jesus did of of encountering them along the way and encouraging them to take their next step with you god what that might whatever that might be and sometimes it's uncomfortable and sometimes it's uh it takes uh takes uh, a little boldness in our part But most of the time, God, it's simply us being available, not being so busy in our lives that we don't take the time or have the time to see the needs around us and the people that are around us and to see them as children of God as well. God, during this series, we ask that you would just open our eyes to the processes and the actions that we need to take to be people who live our life every day on mission, God, because when we do that, we will have the greatest joy and the greatest pleasure in life that we could ever experience, and that's being used by you. Thank you, God, for your incredible love for us. Guide us now, this week and all we do and say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.